Now, with that said, take your Bible to Acts, Acts chapter 12. And this is where we find ourselves in this series of messages. And uh, I, I don't know about you, but I'm really enjoying uh, this series of messages. And, and I've actually uh, had my eyes opened to a few things, and I don't want you... Uh, I know sometimes maybe some of you might think, I bet you he's preaching through that book just to preach at me. You know, uh, I never really think about it like that. Uh, sometimes I don't even know why God wants me to preach a certain series of messages. Now, the message in the series on the home, and we have another message to go, maybe three more. Now, that is something that was pretty obvious in light of what we're dealing with. But other times, I don't know. God just says, start there. And, and so you start there, and somewhere along the course of that time, as I begin to preach through, I see God's wanting to teach me something. And I would never have learned it had I not taken the time to put it at a level where I can preach it. And I will uh, tell you this. Uh, as a new Christian or a Christian or an intermediate Christian uh, that you might have been through your discipleship, if you don't ever engage and begin to teach others, you will reach a plateau in your Christian life and you'll begin to get stagnant. And teaching the material and teaching what you've learned will help you grow to the next level. So many times God has me preaching out of a book or on a topic or a subject as this, as the real church, what is it, uh, is to teach your pastor something. So don't ever think that, well, the pastor's just picking on me. Uh, I'm pretty... Uh, plain if I am, I'll probably generally tell you that I am, <laughs> that I'm picking and I'm meddling or I'm preaching to you. So Acts chapter 12 this morning, and let's read here, beginning in verse 1. He says, Now about the time uh, Herod the king stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church, and he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. And then were the days of unleavened bread. And when he had apprehended him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four quaternions of soldiers to keep him intending after Easter to bring forth to the people. Peter therefore was kept in prison and here's my text for this morning. But prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. And when Herod would have brought him forth the same night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and the keepers before the door kept the prison. And behold, the angel of the Lord came unto him, and a light shined in the prison. And he smote Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise up quickly. And he, his chains fell off from his hands. And the angel said unto him, Gird thyself and bind on thy sandals. And so he did. And he saith unto him, Cast thy garments about thee and follow me. And he went out and followed him and wist not that it was true, which was done by the angel, but thought he saw a vision. And when they were past the first and the second ward, they come unto the iron gate that leadeth unto the city, which opened to them. 
of his own accord, and they went out and passed on through one street, and forthwith the angel departed from him. And when Peter was come to himself, he said, Now I know of a surety that the Lord hath sent his angel, and hath delivered me out of the hand of Herod, and from all the expectation of the people of the Jews. And when he had considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. Let us pray. Our gracious Father, we come, we thank you now. Lord, help us today in the things that we do. Lord, uh, as we look at this passage and we begin to, uh, to extract from it what you would have us to learn, and I believe uh, what is here for us is that at some point in our life, each and every one of us is going to need the power of a praying church on their side. Uh, Lord, help us today. Be with those that couldn't be here because of sickness. Father, deal with those that should have been here that are not here, uh, that are just flat backslid. Lord, uh, you say you chasten every son whom you loveth. Lord, then be with the folks that are watching on the live stream this morning. Help me as a pastor to be a blessing and to be edifying and exhorting in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Now this is Herod Agrippa I. This is not Herod the Great. Uh, Herod the Great lived during the days, the early days of Christ's birth. That was the Herod that had those children killed over there in Bethlehem, if your mind goes back there. Herod is more of a, of a general term, like Pharaoh. When you study your Bible, you see that there was more than one Pharaoh. Pharaoh was a title. Herod's a title. And so you got Herod the Great, and this is Herod Agrippa I. So it is a son or a grandson of Herod the Great. And we see in our text that this is the third great persecution of the church. Now remember, I didn't really point it out, but I'll take the time to point it out this morning, that the first persecution, and remember I preached a message that said, when God gets in it, the devil gets in it. And any time God is going to do something, then the devil is going to do something to disrupt that. And so we see this first great persecution was in the earlier part of the book of Acts, about Acts chapter 4, was from the temple persecution. Remember the apostle Peter, he healed the impotent man, and they were mad about that. It got them all upset because they had done this in the name of Jesus. Now had they done it in the name of Buddha, or in the name of Hindu, or any other number of gods, they wouldn't have mattered. It wouldn't have bothered them as much. But because they'd done it in the name of Jesus, whom they had crucified, the temple people, leaders, they were mad. And so they began to persecute him. Remember, they beat him and they commanded him not to speak in the name of Jesus. We're kind of seeing a little bit of that today. They don't want you to pray in the city hall or, or before you have a city meeting in the name of Jesus. And it's becoming more and more a problem. 
But then we begin to see the second great persecution, which was a Pharisee persecution led by Saul of Tarsus. Remember him? And he, after the stoning of Stephen, that's when that uh, took off. And, and he, was, he made havoc of the church. That means he was trying to bring the church to ruin. The devil was trying to stomp out this church in its early stages. And every time the devil got involved and tried to bring harm to it, God blessed the church, multiplied the church, and it grew. And we've seen it grow to about 52,000 people, roughly. And don't, don't quote me on that, just kind of do the numbers. And I'll tell you why it's vague. It could have been more, more than likely was more. Now there is a rule where the Bible's vague, you need to be vague. And so I just give you those numbers loosely. If in your mind or you do the math, you're better at math than me, and you come up with 86,000 or 120,000, then go with that. But then we see this third and great persecution of the church. And this persecution is a political persecution. This is where politician Herod is, uh, Herod Agrippa I is a politician. And for political gain, he wanted to persecute the church. So he takes James who was the brother of John, this would have been James and John, the sons of thunder. They were a part of Christ's inner circle. So you see the devil's really trying to take out the leaders in the apostles. Peter, James, and John was that inner circle with Christ. So he kills James, and he sees that it pleases the people. Now, he's not talking about Christians. He's talking about the Jews, uh, the ones that didn't want to be reminded that Jesus had rose from the dead. And so we see this political persecution. And I will tell you this. I believe there will be political persecution before we're raptured out of here. We're beginning to see it now. We've seen it really raise its ugly head during the COVID lockdowns. There are still a few churches working through the court systems on that political persecution. Now, if you think with me for a moment, if we believe that we have a constitutional republic and we understand that uh, the First Amendment is the freedom of speech and it, that is defined that people have a right to assemble and that Constitution was written to keep the government in check, not the people. See, our founding fathers, they grew up and had experience when government becomes too big, it becomes oppressive. And it begins to persecute people. And we also had learned, or they had learned, that when you adopt a state religion, when you don't have that state religion tag on your church, then you are the focus of persecution. And that's why those early fathers, the pilgrims, fled England. Political persecution. Herod, it's not a new tactic. And so for these last 250 years in America, because before that, there was Christian persecution in this country. And you learn that when you study early church history or American church history. But 
upon the Declaration of Independence, and then you get into the Constitution, that was one of the things that they wanted to make sure that our government was never to do. Now, with that understanding, why in the world would politicians who are in power immediately begin to target churches? And churches that were preaching the gospel. When the Constitution is very clear to say that the government shall not write a law going against those amendments. The Bill of Rights. You say, what is that? Oh, it's political persecution is what it is. And I believe it's going to get worse in the years to come. If I'm reading this Bible correctly, it definitely is going to get worse as the world is being conditioned to worship Satan and this country, this very Christian nation, that's how it was founded. I don't care what the liberals say. It was started and founded as a Christian nation. A good book on that is The 5,000 Year Leap. Uh, it's a very good a work uh, that has been put together. Very informative book. And here what that gentleman does is... You know, there's a big debate on the Bill of Rights, like the Second Amendment and the First Amendment and so on and so forth. And we say, well, we really don't know what they meant by that. That's a lie. We do know what the founding fathers that wrote those documents meant by that because they wrote notes and compositions uh, explaining what they meant by that Bill of Rights that they wrote. And this gentleman... It's all documented. It's not just his, his thoughts or his sway on it. It's their very writings. And he gets into the, the very writings of, of Thomas uh, uh, Jefferson and, and Benjamin Franklin and some of these other men and, 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 and what they meant when they said we need to have the freedom of speech. What did they mean by that? It should never be up for debate in this country. Because we have access to those documents. They don't ever want to talk about them. But that book is a very good book. I'm careful about the books that I push. But the 5,000 year leap, if you like history and you want to know about early American history and what, how this was set up. And I'll tell you something that really gets me. I didn't mean to get on this, but I am because I'm on political persecution. I'm getting sick and tired of listening to commentators and people and our Senate leaders saying, this is a democracy. We do not, we're not in a democracy. We have a constitutional republic. Now, history has taught us from men like Hitler and these other monsters they had a motto, if you tell a lie long enough, convincingly enough, the people will believe it. And I'm watching, I'm listening, and every one of those birds, they'll refer, when they refer to America, oh, we're a democracy. No, we are not. We're a constitutional republic, and we use the democratic means to elect our leaders. Now, I'm not going to get into all of that, but you are being conditioned I'm not a conspiracy theorist, and I don't get off on all that stuff. But when it's pretty evident in front of you, why would our leaders, who's supposed to have a better working knowledge of the Constitution than we, 
Why would they say that? And every once in a while, you'll see one of those guys that's got some brass say, no, we're a constitutional uh, uh, republic. And here's why that's important. In a constitutional republic, the rights of the individual are protected. I'll let that sink in a little bit. And a democracy... A democracy always precedes a socialistic state. And a democracy is all about the mob rule. So if the majority thinks that something is not right or right, they don't care what the law says. The mob's right. That's not good. That's not good. The point is, Political persecution is already here in this country. I do believe it's going to get worse, hence the basis for the message. It will only get worse as politicians wanting the approval of different faction groups. That's what we're seeing. Different faction groups that are minority groups, but they know how to manipulate the media and social media. As it's paraded in front of you, you think it's a majority. No, it's not. Peter is experiencing political persecution for his faith. I thought about this. The Apostle Peter... He needed his home church to pray without ceasing for him. Now, I don't know if it was because I seen what Tabernacle had done. I don't know if some of you seen that. They had a prayer revival. And maybe that was in the back of my mind as I begin to read this. But I see prayer revival here. Has anybody ever been involved in a church that had a prayer revival in your lifetime? A prayer revival. No. Well, according to Acts 2, one of the key elements that make up a church was prayer, remember? And I'm not talking about prayer like we offer prayer at table grace. And I trust that you're teaching your children and that you're modeling in front of them that you do need to thank God before you eat your food. It's proper to teach your children to be thankful for what God has provided. But I'm talking about a little something more, and I thought about this. Now, Wednesday nights we've kind of changed what we're doing a little bit, and I'm beginning to break our folks up into groups, the ladies and then the men. You know, because the ladies can pray too. God listens to the prayers of ladies, one of the problems in our all about me, <laughs> independent <laughs> IFB churches, is that some of those men are programmed to think because of a preacher that they like, implied that, that a woman, God never talks to a woman. That's funny. I can't get through a book of the Bible where God's not talking or dealing with a woman. And that women can't pray. 
you know. And so, the ladies, it's how I grew up. It's how I used to have church. So Wednesday nights, and we started this this coming Wednesday. And, and, and I, I want to take a prayer request, and then we break up into groups. So the men are going to pray, and then the, the ladies come in here, and then they pray. And I believe God will bless that, because I see that here in the Word of God. And as we see things in the Word of God, and God opens our eyes, we need to correct ourselves and bring ourselves into alignment with the Word of God. You say, well, preacher, what happens if you don't have enough time to teach the lesson you've worked so hard on? Then so be it, because I must decrease, but he must increase. I'll give you something. Don't you worry about that. I think sometimes we focus too much on the individual and not enough on God and what God wants us to do as a church. And I know that God wants us to pray because He tells us to pray without ceasing. He's addressing the church. He's not just addressing individuals, but He's addressing the church body. Then it got me to thinking even more. You know, a lot of times when we think about coming to church, we say, well, you know, I'm really not getting much and I don't know, this tonight's really not, really nothing there for me, and you know, they're not having a big singing group in, so, I, you know, it's just, it's just not, not my cup of tea. Church isn't only, only about you and what you get. Church is about each and every one of us trying to help the other one that's having a bad week, or might have a Herod in their life to help Pray with them about that matter. And their life is hanging in the balance. And if you don't show up, they might not get the encouragement they need. And the devil will use that to knock them out of the race. What a thought. Peter needed the power of a home church. This was the church that Peter was the pastor in. And I do covet as a pastor, the senior pastor, your prayers. I covet your prayers. And I thank you for your generosity uh, this morning, uh, the gift that you've given us. And this church has been very good to me and my wife these years. You have sacrificed. You have sacrificed to make sure to try to take care of your pastor. And I appreciate that from the bottom of my heart. But I covet your prayers. I need your prayers. Because if the devil could knock me out, if the devil could deceive me, he would stand a chance of knocking a lot more people out. I need your prayers. I need the prayers of a home church praying for me, just like Peter did. But Peter had a Herod in his life. Now, this Herod, each and every one of us, even the kids, you're going to have to deal with a Herod at one time or another, if not multiple times in your life. And this Herod, according to this 
text is somebody who has power over you. I believe he represents Satan. And he says he turned Peter over to four quaternions of soldiers. That's 16 soldiers he assigned to Peter. And then he chained him up to two of them. And I was thinking the bondage of sin. So your Herod could be an addiction. Oh, I know people that have a Herod in their life and they're struggling with an addiction. And they want to break free. They want to get out. And every time they go to make a move, one of Satan's minions, demons, is chained to them. And they can't break free. You know what they need? They need the power of a home church that's going to pray for them. It's one of the things you need to look for when you're looking for a church. You're not looking for a church that has a great entertainment program. And I enjoyed last week. I sit here on this front pew and cried my eyes out. I did not realize how badly I had missed them and missed singing and playing music with them. We used to get together every year at their cabin. They They got a beautiful property. They got a couple ponds on it too. And I have an open invitation to come up there and catch all the fish out of it. Brother Jeff said, you catch them all out, we'll stock it again. And they're good ponds. But I remember best of getting there with the church picnics. And we'd take the time to set up. And they'd set that same equipment up out there. And they, they always wanted us and my brother to play with them. And, 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 and play and sing. And we'd laugh and have a good time. And we edified one another. I hadn't realized how badly I'd missed that until I heard them. I, I love Jeff's high harmony tenor and lead. It just, I, I can know that voice anywhere. They did a good job. But you're not looking for a church. And they didn't entertain us. They presented Christ to us. It was done right. But there's so many churches today that they're focusing on entertainment because we're geared for entertainment. That's what we want. We watch our football. We watch our basketball. And we watch all the sport because we want to be entertained. But that's not what you need. You need a church, a home church. And this is why it's important that you're a member of a local New Testament Bible preaching, Bible teaching, Bible praying church. Because you are going to have a Herod in your life. And you're going to need a church that's going to pray for you. Not only pray for you, but pray without ceasing for you. So I'm going to give you three things about this church. And no, all 52,000 people were not gathered here at Mary's house. They were dispersed into different homes, kind of like cottage prayer meeting. You would have a biblical basis for cottage prayer meetings here. And I like it. We have done that in the years past, but it didn't seem to be or take off as well as I had liked it. And if you're like me, You don't want 20 or 30 people running through your house. (laughs) It's a lot of work to try to get all the clothes stuffed under the bed and they buy one of those big long blankets that covers that down to the floor and lock the closet (laughs) and to put all that smell-good juice all over everything. (laughs) 
and to motivate your husband to take the trash out, wash the trash can so it don't stink. I don't know why I said that. <laughs> Not even preaching on me. It just, it just come in there. I've been thinking about having a prayer revival this fall. You pray about that. You pray about that. I, I don't know which way I want to go with that. If I want to open the doors of the church from 7 to 7, and then you come as your schedule will allow you to come and pray at this altar. And when you're done praying, then you go on. And then somebody else is free to come in. But the problem with that is the day and age we're living in, if nobody's here to watch the church while the doors are unlocked, I've got a problem. And then I begin to think, well, maybe we'll do like they do in big time wrestling, because you all like that stuff, is the first person that shows up, which could be me, at 7 in the morning, i got to stay here until the next person tags me out. Yeah, I know, you're all laughing. Because I, did, I grew a brain real quick, and I'm like, oh, well then, no, that wouldn't happen, because they'd all leave me down here. <laughs> And then I thought, well, maybe we just show up every night at about 7 and just pray and have a prayer meeting, men and women, every night for about three or four nights. And then I begin to think, well, maybe we'll do it on Zoom. Now, then I can just quit thinking about it. And the Lord, the Lord will work with me on that. I want to have it so it fits our schedules. Not that I'm looking for convenience for us. I don't want to take us in our church to the next level. I want to have a prayer revival. You pray about that. See, I don't know if, if, if God will keep my heart on fire for it, then we'll do it. If he don't, then we'll, we'll put it on another burner and we'll continue forward. But I think it's a good idea to have a prayer revival. We need to get better in our praying. But for a church to have power with God... It'll have to be a church that has the practice of prayer. That's what I'm talking about. We need to be a church that has the practice of prayer. And no, I'm not talking about praying the rosary. I'm not talking about praying the, the, the old little old prayer where you repeat it time and time and time again. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the practice. How do you get good at anything? You practice it. You need to be part of a church that has the practice of prayer. This church started in Acts chapter 1, verse 14, with prayer, if you was to look at those scripture. And then it continued in prayer by Acts chapter 2, verse 42. It's one of the key elements in the early church. And then we see that they experience the power of prayer in Acts chapter 4, when the whole place was shaken. I talked about that Wednesday night a little bit about that church experiencing the power of prayer. But then prayer, in Acts chapter 6, was modeled from the leadership, from the pastors. Remember what the pastor said there? When they was having that problem with the widows being neglected, and the pastors, they said, it's not meet for us to leave the Word of God in prayer to serve tables. And so they said, you need to look you out seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost, who is faithful, and that we may appoint. 
So the church don't vote on the deacons. They can make recommendations and then upon examination by the pastors and the Holy Spirit's discernment, they can appoint them. That's what your Bible says. Now, maybe you, you haven't done it that way, but that's one of the unique things that make us different. That's why we're independent. I'm not a denominational Baptist. I don't cater or bow down to the denominational way of things that they, people do that. That's why we're independent. That's the very definition of it. Because the Bible says that each church should be autonomous and that it should be uh, allowed to govern its own affairs between the pastor and the congregation. And so the apostles there, who were the pastors, said we need to be given continually to prayer and the Word of God. So this prayer was modeled in the leadership. And I have been, one, I needed more prayer, and I needed the practice of more prayer, but I want to be able to model prayer to you. I don't pray enough. And I pray every day. I go on a prayer drive. That's what I do. I created a habit somewhere around the COVID lockdowns. I created a habit. A habit, how to develop a habit, is you got to do the same thing at the same time every day for seven weeks. It could be six weeks. By the time that year was over, I was sitting at the house the other night about five, six, Jen and I went out. We'd come in a little later. We'd spent some time together. And she said, are you going to go pray? I said, ah, I don't know. And then the Holy Spirit began to convict me. I said, wait a minute, you got to have it. And then I began to get itchy and anxious, like I was needing something. You know how people do. Yeah. <laughs> Caught some of you. <laughs> you knew exactly what that was. So I had to get my clothes back on and get out the door and come down here and pray. Because I want to model prayer. And I want this church to experience the power of God through prayer. So you need a church that has the practice of prayer. But then, according to verse 5, you need a church that has persistence in prayer. They said they prayed without ceasing. That's persistence. They had a prayer revival. They were obedient to the Word of God because the Bible commands us to pray without ceasing. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17. But there's something more to this. Let me give you, remember that parable that Christ quoted, and you were right there, Brother Dave, Luke chapter 11. Talking about we have not because we ask not. But if you back up about four verses there in Luke chapter 11, it talks about two men that were friends. They lived close together. And they had both laid down for the night, but this one friend had a visitor come by. And he didn't have no bread to set before him. And so he goes to his friend's house. And he begins to knock on the door. Friend, I've got a visitor. I need some bread. I know you got bread. <laughs> Give me some bread. And he says, look, I've just laid down. Hey, shh, I got the babies down to sleep. They're in bed too. We're all sleeping. 
And he's like, and he kept knocking and he kept knocking and he wasn't going to stop. And the friend gets up and gives him what he asked for. And Christ says, that's how we need to be in prayer. We need to have some importunity. That was the word Christ used. That means persistence. A lot of times we pray for something and we only pray for it once. And we, we pray for it casually, like in table grace, and we got fried chicken waiting on us, and it's getting cold, and Mama's already told you, don't be praying around the world. Short, to the point, out. And so we haphazardly mention it, and then we never come back to it. We need to be a church that has importunity in prayer. That's persistence. We're not going to stop asking until God gives it. You know, for years I've prayed for church growth. Brother Dave, you actually gave me this idea while you were praying the other night. He prayed for church labors. <laughs> yeah, we don't just need church growth. We need church labors. Let's get specific. We need church labors. I'd love one day to lay the piano down. We need a piano player. We need alternate Sunday school play, uh, uh, teachers. I mean, if we were making fun of Brother Dennis, maybe I shouldn't say this live. He's a lot of vacations this year. We're trying to figure out what's going on there. Some of us, we want vacations too. <laughs> I won't let the rest of them leave. <laughs> no, you've got class to teach. Probably why nobody wants to volunteer for anything. <laughs> the preacher, it's a lifelong thing with you. <laughs> well, look around. <laughs> if the church was to grow with labors, then you could get away every once in a while. <laughs> That's right, doodlebug. Amen. We need to have some persistence in our prayer. This church had persistence in prayer. But then we need to have a church that is able to prevail through prayer. You know, when Peter come and knocked on the door there, Rhoda answered the door. She was in disbelief that Peter was standing there. and They thought maybe it was his angel that Herod had went ahead and cut his head off too. They had prevailed in prayer. God answered their prayer because he seen they had importunity and they had the practice of prayer. They weren't catching up on their prayer life. A lot of people do that. They don't even think about church, God, or others until a crisis hits their life. And then all of a sudden they come marching in here. I've been pastoring here 12 years. I've seen this repeat time and time again. You know what I'm going to start telling them? You need to be in church. And until you're in church, this is going to keep happening. Because if you don't care, then God's going to answer you with the same attitude you have about Him. You're going to need the power of a praying church in your life. Because I assure you, this, the devil is going to make sure that there's going to be a Herod 
rise up in your life and he's going to have you chained. And you're not going to be able to break through it from it. And you're going to need others in the body of Christ that are praying for you daily. And they're going to persist in that prayer until they prevail in that prayer. That's the kind of church you need. That's the kind of church I want us to be going forward. Is a church that has the practice of prayer. That can be persistent in prayer. That can prevail with God in prayer. Leonard Ravenhill wrote this. Poverty stricken as the church is today and many things, she is most stricken here in the place of prayer. We have many organizers, but few agonizers. Many players and payers, but few prayers. Many singers, few clingers. Lots of pastors, but few wrestlers. Many fears, few tears. Much fashion, little passion. Many interferers, few intercessors. Many writers, but few fighters. Failing here, we fail everywhere. You know, it's been said that prayer changes things. I believe that. And maybe you have experienced that in your life, or maybe you're not. But I will tell you this for certain, that prayer changes us. We need to be a church that has the practice of prayer that knows how to rally around each other when a Herod rises up in our lives. And this is where you get the term pray through. Persistent, prevailing prayer. Learn how to pray through. That means we're going to stay with it until God gives us the answer. You're going to need that kind of church. Peter needed that kind of church. And you and I need a praying church. Let's stand this morning.